Flawcast episode 149, Back to Basics. What the liberal theologian has retained after abandoning to the enemy one Christian doctrine after another is not Christianity at all, but a religion which is so entirely different from Christianity as to belong to a distinct category. J. Gresham McMahon. Flawcast. Get in the arena. Hello, esteemed, honorable, noble Flawcast listeners, and just want to speak life over all you guys that are listening. We just want to thank you and welcome you to another fun-filled, hopefully educational and convicting episode of Flawcast. As always, I'm with my co-pilot, my partner in crime, Mr. Carl Tuckerson. How you doing, buddy? Doing wonderful and very differently today. I say good evening, Mr. William. I say good evening. Good evening. It's good to be back. Recording It is. And uh, we want to welcome you guys back and just, we're just going to do the shake and how do you get into it because we have a really important topic. So want to once again, thank you guys. Please continue to share. We're anywhere you can listen to podcasts. We're under Flawedcast, CLE, Apple, Google Play, Spotify, Breaker, Anchor.fm. We are on Rumble under Flawed Inc. You can find us on the Project Mockingbird social media under Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We are on Getter, Gab, and Parlor. All under Flawed Inc. There is a link below to get a copy of my book, Smith's Heart of Man Repair Manual. And I appreciate you supporting that. Our email is flawedincle at gmail.com. And uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, send us a message there or continue to send us a message on our social media. We do get that. And uh, if you want a copy of the book, can't afford one, love to sew into you, send me an email at flawedincle at gmail.com. I'd be more than happy to send you a PDF version on the house. But, Mr. Tuckerson, it is now your time to shine. All right, everyone, place your right hand over your left heart and repeat after us. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right, so we uh, call this one Back to Basics because... I recently came across a Barnum survey, and I, I shared the results with Carl, and we had a conversation about it, but Barnum Research Group is a group that does a lot of surveys, and um, you know they pick people's brains about all different kinds of subjects, and the one particular subject that uh, I've seen a video on I sent to Carl uh, pertained to the idea of what the majority of churches in America believe the tenets of their faith and just to break down 69 to 70 percent of churches in america do not believe the basic tenets of christianity are these christian churches yes yes these are quote unquote Mm -hmm. christian churches in that 70 percent there's 30 percent that do believe the basic tenets of christianity but within that 28% don't regularly speak on these things or hold people accountable because they don't want to lose members, they don't want to offend people, they don't want to lose tithes or offerings. Uh, So uh, roughly 2% of churches in America, which works out to be uh, somewhere uh, 1,030 churches, actually on a regular basis proclaim and teach what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. This whole episode is going to be about if you profess to be a Christian, this is what you should believe. Now, some of these doctrines or some of these things that these churches believe is the idea that 
hell isn't real, that the devil isn't real, that the idea of reincarnation, the idea of karma, the idea that Jesus was a good moral teacher, uh, that the, if you live a good life, you will have eternal life in heaven. Um, a lot of things that are just contrary in spirit and in letter to the word of God. And I wanted to really kind of place an emphasis because I know Carl and I talk a lot about deeper things on this podcast, but I really felt on my heart, we're in a time where there's a lot of moving parts. Just even since our last episodes come out, there's so much, you know, whether, whether it be weather balloons, UFOs, we are now entering into World War Three or World War Four. however you personally believe that. Uh, we are now steps, steps closer to a cashless society. Um, there are energy and food shortages. Uh, this one hits really close to home, but East Palestine, Ohio, there has just been a massive train wreck that apparently nobody is taking any kind of accountable accountability or ownership for this thing. Uh, you know, a gentleman who I listen to a lot, his name is Mike Adams, a health ranger. He has gone on to say, this has the effect of being like a Chernobyl. There are things that are happening across the globe that every and like we continue to reiterate point towards this emerging antichrist governmental system uh, uh i personally believe the time of the tribulation if we're not already in it we are about to enter in it uh but what i really want to do in this episode and i i'm thankful that carl's going to be here because i i look to him in many regards as kind of an expert but we are going to be talking not about doctrinal differences. We're not going to be talking about where you stand on the rapture. We're not going to be talk of, uh, talking about the gifts of the Spirit. We're not going to be talking about these little, you know, are you a Baptist? Are you Pentecostal? Are you Lutheran? Whatever. We're not, we're not going to get into that. If you profess to be a Christian, the things that we are going to discuss have to be the cornerstone, the foundation of your system of belief. And we want to get into that because as we you know, talk regularly, one of the hallmarks of the end times is the fact that deception is going to be running rampant. And we see just even in this little survey or this little, uh, you know, thing that the Barner Group has done, there's rampant deception, uh, even within quote unquote churchgoers or the body of Christ. So I really want to give a very back-to-basic elementary teaching about if you are, say you are a Christian, what does that mean, and what do you and what do you not believe in? So I have things kind of broken down, uh, and I'm going to get into just a list of things and then share a couple other thoughts, uh, some scriptures, but I certainly, Carl, just jump in any time you want to or want to correct something or you want to add something because I think it's very important that people hear from you as well in this. Uh, you know, and one of the things that's really been spurring me on is, and I'll just, we'll just briefly talk about it because we, we talked about this before, but there's this outpouring or this quote unquote revival in Ashbury, Kentucky. Uh, it's a Christian college. Apparently about a week and a half ago, they had a chapel service and they just started worshiping. And God came, I say allegedly with respect, because I don't know, I've not been there, I don't know too much more than what I've heard, and it's been going on ever since. So now we're starting to see all kinds of things 
popping off. Uh, I saw somewhere Lee University this weekend, uh, somewhere in, uh, on a beach in California, um, the streets of New York City, so on and so forth. And, and if this is a genuine last day outpouring of the move of the Spirit of God, I applaud that. I am behind that. Because the scriptures say, in the last days, I will pour my spirit on all flesh. Right. And I'm hoping and praying as we are giving nod and we are giving awareness that the devil is clearly moving, we have to give a nod and we have to acknowledge that when the enemy raises a standard, God comes in like a flood. And what that basically means is that God's not going to be outdone. And, and we see that there are prophetic promises that not only talk about the advent of the Antichrist, but in those days, the outpouring of God's spirit. And I'm hopeful that we're seeing that. That is a great point. And I'm glad that you brought up the scripture about in the last days, God is going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh and sons and daughters are going to prophesy and old men are going to dream and have visions. Right. Because all of the other prophetic scriptures about evil and bad that we have went over on this podcast, we easily recognize. Mm -hmm. In other words, there's evil that we see that's ramped up to the highest degree. It is evident by seeing the bad that we are in the last days. But what people also forget is that that is not the end of the prophetic. Right. There's also the flip side. There's also that flood that comes in that blows away and annihilates the standard that evil has set up. So it's like a big dam that evil has built or constructed, and that has been all we've seen. You and I have talked about it, and it can be depressing, and it can be overwhelming, and those of us like you and I, it can make us angry that we're seeing silence from people and we're seeing inactivity as this happens. But the good news is that God annihilates the standard that evil has built up and propagated. Right. Built on the foundation of lies and deception. Right. And I I simply look at it just with even the last week since our last episode, you you, you got all this blatant satanic devil worship at the Grammys in many different regards. You got the, the Super Bowl performances. You have, once again, the, the rising and the acknowledgement of this satanic antichrist Luciferian spirit coming upon the earth. But in order to be a fair and balanced, mm-hmm. which God is, his, his justice flows like the ocean tide, which is even as the devil, who is nothing but a mimicker, mm-hmm. an imitator, God, the originator, the creator is going to pour out his spirit on all flesh, on all those who are willing to acknowledge. But for and me, that has been missing. I must say, you know, I must be honest. Well, and, and that's where if I'm skeptical about any of this, these movements, um, that's because Jesus introduced himself to me in 1998. The church I started attending was called Willow Praise. They were in what was called the Shoregate Revival, which is the longest running revival in Cleveland history. Started in 1998, ended about 2004. And I was having a, aunt, or a discussion with my Aunt Barb. Hi, Aunt Barb. Um, she got uh, really uh, saved and ministered in the late 60s, early 90s, and, or I'm sorry, late 60s, early 70s. And she was part of this movement called the Freedom House, which was a 
kind of a Jesus movement, Jesus revela- uh, Jesus revolution revival fr- stemming out of the 60s and 70s from the hippie culture. And in this Freedom House in, the, in 1973, there was a revival in Cleveland for a couple of years that, that she was a part of and that she saw. So, you know, the question I've had is I was talking to her, you know, that that revival started in 1973 and then from 1998, that's 25 years. Now from 1998 to 2023, that's another 25 years. That there, and God always moves in cycles. So I, I don't know. I, this is just me kind of pontificating. But I want to get into, and whether it's, whether this is a genuine move of God or if this is something that people are being tricked into worshiping a different Jesus because Jesus said in Matthew 24, we've talked about this in the last days, there will be false prophets and and false messiahs coming and saying that they are in him. They are him. They are using his name. So we want to be very discernful about these things. And, And my caution, I could say maybe Carl's caution too, is if you're wanting to move a God, repent. That's the first part. Sacrifice. Make room in your heart and say, I am sacrificing, whether it be a a time of fasting and not just food, whether it be a time of fasting this or fasting that, making way to build an altar, to prepare an altar. The book of Nehemiah actually is a very good allegory for what a revival looks like, rebuilding uh, the, the, the old ways so, the, so that new can come. But I'm just going to get into a couple things. Once again, Carl, jump in. I'm going to put the link to this article below. It's just a real concise. It says, 10 things all Christian religions have in common. So uh, this thing is a good place to start, and here we're going to go. Number one. God. All Christians, no matter the denomination, believe in one God. They place God as the utmost figure of their religion, stating that he created the entire universe, seen and unseen. He continues to maintain the world in his image. His ultimate authority over all matters means that Christians sometimes call him our father or our father as well as God. So, um... Our Father, the Almighty God, He is God. There is none higher. There, there is no other creator. You know, people say, well, who created God? I, I think you're thinking of the wrong God. Because the God, the one that we serve and we are imploring other people to serve, created everything. He is that creator. He is the originator. Uh, our Father, that's another, you know, when we pray, our Father who is in heaven, um, he is the Father, the Almighty, the Yahweh. Number two, Jesus. Christians believe that God had a son, Jesus Christ, and that he was born of the Virgin Mary for the salvation of sin. They believe that he was sent to earth to work amongst humans as one of their own to perform miracles and to die on the cross for everybody's salvation. Christians also believe that Jesus rose to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. So Jesus himself said, if you see me, you have seen the Father. Um, this is an important thing because God is a monolithic God in three parts, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, and, and it's important that we as Christians recognize that. The Bible Scriptural interpretation varies across denominations, but all Christians use the Bible as their holy text. 
At its simplest, the Bible is divided into the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's a collection of book and letters that advise all Christians on how to live their life according to God's will and grace. Original sin. In the King James Version of the Bible, Romans 5.12 states, and let me just read that real quick before go any further. This is what says actually in the Amplified. Therefore, just as sin came in the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all people, no one being able to stop it or escape its power because they all sin. So when you talk about the idea of original sin, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, it says in Romans. But with the idea for um, original sin is that Sin was introduced to the world when Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. Christians may disagree about the extent to which original sin has been propagated and the mark that it leaves on the soul, but they all agree that that is the first sin committed. Organized worship. All Christians gather to share their faith with other adherence of the same religion. How and when this happens differs, but coming together is a key tenet of Christianity. Some attend congregations and some stay at home, but each Christian believes that concentrated time spent in communion with God is important. Salvation. Despite the differences in belief about what salvation entails and how it is achieved, all Christian religions state that the that only God and Jesus can deliver it to humans. When Christians have sinned, they pray to God and Jesus to absolve them of their sins and give them salvation. Heaven and hell. The, the manifestations of what constitutes heaven and hell vary across Christian religions, but all worshipers believe that a heaven exists where God and Jesus reside and that hell is where people go who have not been given salvation. Salvation. Despite the differences in belief about what salvation entails and how it is achieved, all Christian religions state that only God and Jesus can deliver it to humans. When Christians have sinned, they pray to God and Jesus to absolve them of their sins and give them salvation. Heaven and hell. The manifestations of what constitutes heaven and hell vary across Christian religions, but all worshipers believe that a heaven exists where God and Jesus reside, and that hell is where people go who have not been given salvation. It's also where the devil will ultimately well, reside. Hell, for... is, hell is where people go, and this is this I want to say. Sure. When people choose to go there on their own. And I know that that's like hard to believe, but... That's just the cold hard facts, and people don't want to hear it. But God doesn't send people to hell, they send their self. And when you reject Jesus and you reject the message of forgiveness for sins, it's your decision, and that's your choice. And then the responsibility of that decision is that hell is made by people choosing to go there. So for me, how I know is, okay, hell is a real physical place. I know that it actually exists. I believe that. Mm -hmm. But it isn't my reality. Right. It's not because your eternal I chose, perspective. Exactly. So what I'm saying is that people can say that they don't believe in hell. My position is that's, 
I, I hate to say this, but maybe we should get controversial. Well, we need to. Okay. Because, because ultimately, we are doing an injustice and we are capitulating with. I just felt this big inspiration to stop yeah. what you were doing sure. and, 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 and hit this real quick. Because there is this fear to preach hell. There is this fear from the pulpits to even mention the reality of hell. Right. I believe that perfect love mm-hmm. casts down the spirit of fear. I don't believe fear is an emotion. I believe fear is a spirit. Mm-hmm. I believe that since Jesus is love and perfect love, that when I am existing in him and my purpose and my whole reality of existence is for him, my life is a gift back to him as he gave his life to me as a gift, that when I stand in him, fear goes. Absolutely. I'm not afraid to say hell. I'm not afraid to preach hell. I'm not afraid to let people know hell's real. And people can like turn the podcast off. People can hate Carl. People can do whatever they're going to do. But I'm sick and tired of not hearing sermons that talk about the reality of the existence of hell being your reward for rejecting Jesus as the Savior of the world. I'm, I'm like, I'm up here with the, it's like, I don't want to say anger, but disgust. I grew up in the 70s, and, you know, there were some pretty, pretty popular hellfire and brimstone preachers. I'm not that guy. I'm not a hellfire and brimstone turner you burn guy. I understand the new covenant. I understand it's about love. But. Hell is real, and the devil has achieved a great deception, first and foremost, by getting people to believe he isn't real. The second thing that he has done somehow is allowed the lie that not only is he not real, but his home, his future home, his dwelling place, where him and his defeated armies shall stay forever, that's hell. So he has made people believe he's not real. He's made people believe that his dwelling place is not real. And the people that want to tell me I've lost my mind, that God is a loving God and God would not do that to people. I would say you're a hundred percent right. God has never sent one person to hell and he never will. You choose to go there. That's where you choose to go. And in addition to that, you're hundred percent right. And in addition to that, for those that do believe in hell, it is often presented as somewhat of a a joke or it's a place where like you picture ACDC playing and there's going to be like it, a highway to hell and it's like well, hang out and party type. Right. Or, you know, there's going to be strippers and it's going to be like yeah. Las Vegas, but really, really, really hot, uh, hotter than it is. And, and unfortunately, that isn't real either. The thing that defines defines what hell is, is the separation of God. Uh, jokingly, people that know me, I'll say, I'll say, well, hell to me is beaches and Celine Dion music. But in all joking aside, 
is the separation from God. And we read in the eschatological books that there will be a time where the spirit of God and the manifestation of his saints where the spirit dwells will be removed from the earth. And that will be as close as hell on earth as there ever will be. It's like saying, you know, to a friend that you really, really love that drinks about five or six drinks a night for years is saying, hey, man, have at it. Let, you know, have another one here. I'm, I'm bringing you a bottle tonight for your consumption instead of saying, hey, I love you. What you are doing is not promoting a spiritually, emotionally or physically healthy lifestyle. And us neutering the gospel, which is what this is, is the fact that if you are called as a shepherd or a watchman or an apostle, a prophet, pastor, teacher, uh, whatever your quote-unquote position is, um, talk, not talking about hell and not talking about consequences and not talking about the reward for the decisions that you make, it's a neutering of the gospel. It, it isn't the full gospel. And one of the, the things I was most, honestly, most shocked about in reading these surveys is the fact that most Christians don't believe in hell. That 69 to 70% of Christians, at least what's being taught in the pulpit, is that hell is not real the devil is a figment of your imagination or, you know, oh, I got the willies. So that's, you know, hell is absolutely a real place. Like you said, Carl, the, the devil is absolutely a real entity, a real demonic leader, if you will. Um, there are fallen angels. A third of the angels fell in that great heavenly war uh, and they succumbed to the ruse of the devil. So, and I know this might sound kind of old schooly kind of, you know, like the turn and burn kind of a thing. But the reality of it is, is that if we don't, at least for us, I'm not going to speak to anybody, any other preacher, any other denomination. If, if I don't sit here and say, listen, your choices determine where you're going to spend eternity, then I, I, then I can't say that I actually care or I love you at all. That, that, that's not real love. So... Um, and I think that's something we'll probably end up coming back around with. But there's a couple other things I want to talk about. Baptism and communion. Baptism basically means you go under the water. It is a, uh, and, and John the Baptist came baptizing before Christ did. John the Baptist actually baptized Jesus. And, and it's, a, it's a physical, it's a metaphorical symbolism of I am going under the water, representing death and the coming up from the water, reemergence of life, which is signifying as Christ died in the body and was resurrected in the body, I am also dying to my old self and being born again, being born new. Uh, it's the whole element of being born again. We, uh, you know, the, it says in Romans 10, we must confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised Christ from the dead. You know, if whoever, uh, I believe it's Romans 10, 13, whomever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I want to read the lyrics to 
a song by a gentleman named Rich Mullins, who I absolutely love. He's a gospel singer. Well, he was a gospel songwriter. Uh, but he actually has a song called Creed. I just want to read the lyrics. But I find in a poetic, shortened version, this really consists of the, the tenets of the faith. I believe in God the Father, almighty maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ's only begotten Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified and dead. He was crucified and died and buried. Um, it goes on to say, I believe that he who suffered was crucified, buried, and dead. He descended into hell, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven, where he sits at, the, at God's mighty right hand. I believe that he's returning to judge the quick and the dead and the sons of men. I believe in God, the Father, Almighty Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord. I believe in the Holy Spirit, one holy church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sin. I believe in the resurrection. I believe in life that never ends. Wow. That's basically the whole foundation of everything yeah. we believe as a Christian. Like, I get emotional reading that because I, I just so, despite my flaws and despite how cruddy I am most of the time, I just so deeply identify with that is the reality I live in and I try to walk out and embody every day. But what's really disappointing is, is that if we look at what the statistics are saying, and I'll, albeit it's one survey, but I certainly think that there's a case that you can see this kind of belief is not really taught, practiced, or walked out, you know, and, and I don't, I, I don't care either. Like we see like a Joel Osteen or a Steve Furtick or, uh, you know, we see like with, you know, Bethel, we see with these other quote unquote movements, denominations, whatever you want to say, that it's a cult of personality where people worship these men. And I believe that's just absolutely blasphemous. I believe that's just so grievous to Holy Spirit because the personality we need to worship is that of Jesus himself. And none of these men died for anybody. Christ was a, a true historical figure who was fully God, fully man, who came to earth, lived 33 and a half years, he was found guilty under Roman law for being a king of a kingdom who, uh, which was a big no-no for the Jews at the time. Um, and, and he was put to death on a cross. There were so many prophecies filled through the Old Testament that we have to come to realize that what we need to come back to is the basics that if there is any gospel that is presented to us, that is not of this gospel. If the gospel that's being presented to you is not a gospel that proclaims that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he and he alone, through the forgiveness and the remission of sins, is the way to get to heaven and have eternal life, you, please be very careful of what and who you're taking in. Well, I just wanted to say that uh, I think the teachings about God from leadership, that's the road that leads to the experiences that you have with God in your personal life. 
because a lot of people now are dependent upon positions of authority. It's like a national thing. It isn't a Christian thing. It's a cultural national thing where most of the populace depends upon a position having a mouthpiece. That position is the position of authority and whatever topic, throw any topic out, whether it's finances, whether it's health, whether it's um, investing, whether it is uh, education, anything you choose, people won't go on their own and study. They just want someone to tell them what to believe and they'll do it. And we see this, you had made reference to the East Palestine, Ohio train wreck. <laughs> yeah. Where the citizens are going outside in that city and breathing air and getting headaches and their throats are burning and their nose are burning and they're, they're getting, getting congestion. Okay? Yeah. The, the animals are, are dying. The people are getting sick. Things are happening. Tremendous undisputable evidence indisputable evidence you can't deny what's happening but the epa is letting everybody know we did our test and everything is perfect well at some point citizens have to rise up and say i know that you're telling me that everything is okay but my body is telling me a different story right right well it's the same thing in the christian church we're going to have to start rising up on our own, and we're going to have to say, I know you're telling me one thing, but my life is telling me a different story. And what, is, what am I trying to say? Well, I was a youth pastor for a few years, as you know. I was a youth pastor while I was actually in college at a church as part of my curriculum. I was a youth pastor after it, and I have a passion for youth. I have a passion for kids and for youth because that's an age of innocence. The age where you have not destroyed your life such as I have done with my choices in many cases. <laughs> they have this innocence, this road yet unchartered, this road that has not been taken. So they have the whole world ahead of them. So I have this, I'm drawn to the teens, to the youth because they have such great potential. One of the number one problems that Christian parents are having as their children have went to Sunday school in church, as their children have went to junior youth group, they've been educated through the pre-teen youth group and then the teen youth group, and then they graduate from our church's training, our church's teaching, our church's education. One of the number one problems parents are having is that they are raising daughters that are calling themselves sons, they are raising sons that are calling themselves daughters. They have in the household now homosexuals and lesbians. They have people that, teens, that have grown up in the church, have sat under that leadership, have sat under those youth pastors and, and senior pastor, and they don't believe in the existence of God. Now, how do I know this? Because I have family. I have friends. I have connections and leadership in churches, in the church world. And that is the biggest problem that we're having with our youth. We're having suicides. We have them going to drug rehab centers. We have the pregnancy centers. People think that somehow the church has sheltered and protected their teens from what's happening in society outside of the church walls. The Mut truth is, Mr. William. Mutilation, self-mutilation, mutilation, all that stuff. Everything. Yeah. So here's my position. I don't find fault with our teens. 
I don't find fault with the young adults that leave teenhood because what they have not had is what I was able to have in 1984 when I gave my life to Jesus. You talked about being saved in a great revival. The church that I grew up in experienced a great revival, a great move of God. And you know where it began, Mr. William? It began with us, the teens. We didn't know that what we were doing was ushering in a move of God. We had no idea. We didn't desire to have a move of God. But within that youth group, we started, I didn't start it, our leadership started what they called a prayer meeting. Sunday evening, 6.30, church used to start at 7.30. We would gather at 6.30, and as a youth group, we would pray. And there were probably 20, 25 of us. We were like brothers and sisters, that close, right? We had grown up together from 8 and up. Some would come, some would go, but it was the main core. And I was 14. And it was 1984, and it was in the summer, and I'll never forget it because I remember what happened after my experience. That night, it was just pursuing the power and presence of Jesus in my life. That was all it was. There was no plan. There was no pre-plan. I had grown up in the church just like the teenagers I just talked about. I was two weeks old and hardly ever missed a church service. Went to the nursery ministry, then went all the way through primaries, all the way up. But something was different on this night, Mr. William. And you know what was different on that night in 1984? It was that somehow all of the teaching about God stopped. And I had an experience with God. There's a big difference between a teaching of God and an experience with God. That's what happened on that night. And when I had an experience with God and just left that area of teaching and entered into an intimate level of purity and holiness and power, that prayer meeting started at 630. And I kid you not, this is true. You can check with many other teens that are now in their 50s that were in that youth group. At 11 o'clock that night, some of those teenagers, there were three of them, literally had to be carried out of that room where there were lockers because there was a Christian school there. There was carpet. We were laid out on the ground just crying and such power in that room, I could not lift my head. I felt such air. The air I've never felt since then. I, 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 I talk about that experience, and I say that that night was when I understood the teaching of God was important for education. But the experience of God is etched in me so that I never doubt the reality of God again. When you, The one thing you can't debate is my experience. You can debate education. You can debate this, that, and the other. One thing you can't tell me is that what I experienced wasn't real. Our teens present day are going through church, and they're getting out into the world never having a true experience with God. They've had the teaching but they have never had an encounter 
with God, where he validates his reality, his power, his authority, his love, and everything that constitute who God is. And because all they've had is a bunch of watered-down teaching, a bunch of non-truth, half-truth teaching, they've yet to have an encounter. They never had the experience. And so because of that, we're battling the same things with our teens in church that they're battling in public schools or in any other institution. And that is they don't even know what sex they are. They don't even know what sex they love. They don't know anything different because they haven't had an encounter. Well, and I think that goes back to a long-standing point you and I have been trying to make. Once again, it's a lot of psychobabble. It's a lot of, you know, when I talk to my therapist, a lot of stuff that I need to work out in my feelings. The scriptures say the heart is deceitfully wicked among all things who can know it. And a lot of what is being understood as the scripture, the spoken, divinely inspired word of God is not, is being masquerade around as that, but it's really just a bunch of psychobabble, motivational speaking. And a lot of times what I'm seeing, not just in the youth, I, I was a youth, uh, a, a college and career pastor for many for, you know, a bunch of years. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a very similar thing. You think at this point, especially kids that were raised in church, they would have a scriptural understanding of, well, no, this, you know, this is this, this is, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. and, and that's not so much the case. I 100% agree with you, and, and if there's outpourings that are legitimate manifestations of, the, of God, like we were saying, in the last days I will pour my spirit on all flesh, right. I'm 100% I'm behind that, I'm all for that, I, I believe and know in my heart that as the enemy comes in, which we acknowledge that he is, and you if you have a pulse... <laughs> You have, I mean, even, even friends of mine, um, that, you know, may be lukewarm or that may, may have a, a different kind of faith. They understand the days we are, occupy are evil. I think for me, it's such an important thing that we go back to the scripture mm -hmm. for everything. I want to read, uh, this is what's commonly known as the Roman road. I just want to read this really quick. I, I just need to give this foundational understanding of what salvation is in the scripture. And then I like you, Carl, I hope that people will say, I don't want to live in deception. I don't want to live in this watered down, you know, post coital crap of spirituality. Um, you know, I want the real thing. And, and, and hopefully if nothing else with this Ashbury outpouring or revival or whatever you want to call it, I don't even know how you define it. Yeah. Uh, I, I know one of the, during the nineties, there was the Brownsville revival, Stephen Hill and, um, Lyndall Cooley was the, uh, worship leader. Kilpatrick was like, this was a huge legitimate, you know, this was the first thing I ever like, holy crap, like what's going on? Like these are, you can't explain, you know, the experiences. I can't explain this experience. Let me get into this. This is Romans uh, chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3, verse 10. It is written, there is no one righteous, no, not one. Romans 5, 12, which we already shared. Just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. 
Here's Romans 6.23. It says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's such a powerful verse. Romans 10, 9 to 10, it says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth one confesses and is made unto salvation. And... um. You know, Romans ten thirteen it says, Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans ten seventeen. And then faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God. So that that's they call that the Roman road. That's the basics of, of salvation. I, I I can't tell you the last time I heard anything like that spoken in a church. Yeah. Honestly. It, it, it it's been a while. I mean, I do a lot of uh I listen to a lot of teachings or um sermons um on youtube and other outlets and uh it's there there's some good teaching and good preaching but that specific the roman road uh the message of sin and salvation and forgiveness and atonement for sin i i can't recall either any of that yeah i listen to a lot of stuff like but it's all it's all like stuff we're in eschatology stuff like you know uh, all the nephilim all this you know stuff that like we're kind of into but and i just want to do you have anything else that you can contribute or or add or any encouragement or any rebuke or anything else that you want to do you think we've done at least a sufficient job trying to uh give the basics to you know what? What is believed? What is has historically uh, been known as Christianity in, in regards to who the man Christ Himself, who He is, and and what He did and died for us for? Everything you've everything you brought out, and by the way, Mister William put most of well all of this together. It's all one hundred percent scripturally, foundationally accurate there is not one thing that i would critique to say is misrepresented or it's not wrong in any way so it's ironic that everything you just spoke about that is in the bible foundationally is accurate i really don't hear much teaching about sorry it's been a while i almost feel like you just took me back to 1988 sitting in an intro to theology class (laughs) because it's really been about that long since I've heard someone just hit the, the the foundational basics, and it's true. And the only thing that I'll say, and then, and then I'm done, is you brought out several points that are missing. But the one that I really would like to second, if I may, is may. that, thank you, Jesus, <laughs> the son of the living God, is the only road and the only path that can lead to God the Father. Because as we had talked, I believe it was earlier today, one of the things I've noticed is even with Christians, they seem to allow people to take a different road or a different path to get to their own God or get to God other than Jesus. And scripturally and foundationally, 
the only way to the Father is through the Son. There is one mediator between God and man, and that is Jesus himself, the Son of the living God. Because how is that possible and why? Because the scripture says he is the propitiation for sin. What is propitiation? It's payment. Sin causes a debt. Well, we just read in Romans 6, the wages of, of sin, sin there you is go. death. So when you work, you and I both have a job. When we work, our wages are what we make our living. That's right. The wages of sin, the eternal restitution of that work is eternal separation from God in, in a fiery, really bad horrible place called hell. yeah like not just the physical um, right the, the physical reality of that torment but the absence of the spirit of god is the absence of any hope i i think that's where i've heard people talking about hell funny enough uh recently not preaching it but teaching it on like a um YouTube channel, and the one thing that they keep reiterating is it isn't just the torment that you feel physically, but the lack of or the absence of the Spirit of God mm. means you have no hope. It's the, absent, the absence of hope that is in that situation or in that moment, right. which can be as tormenting as the physical torment and when you combine the two, knowing the Spirit of God is not here, is not with me, is not present, and that evil has its total reign, its total rule, and I have no hope. There is no blessed hope. Right. And here I am. And I just wanted to end the portion of Carl being involved by saying there is one road to God the Father, and he is Jesus, the Son of the living God. And any other teaching or preaching or message is dangerous and useless. Yeah. And that's all I have to say. And, and I, I just real quick want to tie things up. When you listen to teachings in regards to the eschatological time frame we're in, one of the biggest, most common thread is deception. Do not be deceived. And we see that we live in error of that. I want to just say this, and then you know we can put this episode to bed. John chapter 3, Jesus is having a conversation with a man named Nicodemus, who was one of the higher-ups in the Jewish religious sect mm -hmm. councils at that time. And, uh, you know, read it yourself if you haven't, or become reacquainted with it if you can, but, you know, Nicodemus basically asked Jesus, you know, well, what do I got to do to get eternal life? And he's like, well, I got to be, you got to be born again. He goes, well, how can a man enter his mother's womb for a second time? And it's just a really interesting conversation. But the things I want to, I just want to end with these two verses. And the second verse I'm going to share with you is probably one of my favorite verses in the entire scripture. Um, and, and this is to reemphasize the point you just made, Carl. Mm -hmm. It is only through Christ, our Redeemer that there is remission or forgiveness of sin. There is the idea of eternal companionship, that you are not alone. I, I, I've gone th without a lot of things in my life. Yeah. I've had a lot of things taken from me. But the one thing that's never been taken from me is Jesus. Yeah. And this isn't... Uh, uh, 
a lofty philosophical new age BS teaching. This is the word of Christ. And it says here, John 3, 16 and 3, 17. For God, and this is from the Amplified Bible. For God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave his one and only begotten son that whoever believes and trusts in him as savior shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge and condemn the world. That is to initiate the final judgment of the world, but that the world might be saved through him. So Christ didn't come to quote unquote condemn the world and he came to save. The condemnation, the the eternal damnation, that's what we if you want to choose. So I, I just really feel led to say this, Carl. If you are hearing this, you need to realign yourself with Christ or you've not done that at all. It, it's not a religiosity thing. It's not like, hey, I'm, I'm a good person. I'm just going to go to... It, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with understanding what the gospel is. And the gospel is, I'm a sinner. There's nothing I can do about that other than realizing Christ is Lord. He died for our sins. And like it said in Romans 10, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that he died and was rose again, we will be saved. So if you're in a place in your life where you need that, I just encourage you just to confess with your mouth, Jesus, your Lord, I thank you for your salvation. I thank you for the remission of sin through you. Help me to love and follow you the days of my life. And just believe that in your heart and then begin to live that. Begin to seek out what the word says. Don't look to a man other than Christ. Don't even look to us because we're a bunch of dumb knockers. We're going to fail you, but uh, Christ won't. So I'm going to leave on that. Thank you for listening. This is a message that needs to be shared, especially amongst people who are churchgoers. Uh, Please do. Please share this. You can find us anywhere podcast are we are on apple google play spotify breaker all under flawed cast cle we're on rumble under flawed inc you can find us on the project mockingbird social media facebook twitter instagram we're on parlor getter and gab all under flawed inc there is a link below for copy of my book smith's heart of man repair manual i would appreciate you picking that up our email is flawed inc cle at gmail.com and uh, if you want to send us any questions comments concerns you're more than welcome to do that there or send us a message on our social media like a lot of you have and learn the gospel and, and then do the best you can to live by it